this is our second last, second last week in Philippians. It's the second last week that we look at this, uh, this letter, um, what I would say is probably the happiest letter. And last week, we talked about joy. Uh, we talked about what Paul would point to us as ways that we could have joy in life, or ways that we are able to have joy. And today we talk about something that's kind of related to joy, but it's also a little bit different. It's related to, but it's not the same thing. And so today we talk about contentment. Today we talk about how to be completely content. The world seems to be in a tricky spot these days. Uh, each day, the headlines of news articles are filled with scary things that we have to fear next. Hey, coach. Yeah. I have to ask you a question. Not quite yet. <laughs> each day, it's a new scary thing that comes up. It, be it another war that might be coming up, or another threat of war, or, or another disease, or another issue that we have to fear. In the past week and a half alone, I read three or four new diseases that experts are telling us we have to be worried about now. Beyond this, there's the constant threat of Mr. Trump down south and what he's going to do next, uh, what our government's next big move will be here in Canada, whether it's we're going to have trade with the states or whether we're going to be isolated to just here. Beyond those things, there's economic concern as businesses are closing. And new businesses are reopening back up only just this week in our region and in other regions hopefully soon. There is the constant looming threat in the fall of this second wave that experts are predicting is for sure going to come. But see, all of these things, all of these threats, all of this fear, this isn't a new issue. In fact, this is in something that every culture, every generation has had to live through, this constant fear that this is it, this is the end. In 2012, if, if we remember back that far, we were sure the world was going to end in 2012 because the Mayan calendar stopped then. As if the Mayans should have known they were supposed to write a calendar forever. Before 2012, Harold Camping predicted for the third or fourth time that the world was ending because supposedly in 2011, in the spring, it was exactly 7,000 years after the flood in Genesis. When he was wrong at the beginning of the year, he, he revised it and made it October of 2011. And the world still didn't end then. We can go back even farther. In 1999, the world was ending because of Y2K. All the computers were going to go to zero and everything was going to cease to work and nothing would work. Even earlier than that, 1910, Halley's Comet was going to destroy the whole world. In 1666, the Great Fire of London thought that this is the end of the world. The fire burned for a few days and everyone thought... This is it. The world will be consumed by fire. Before that, in 1524, a very famous mathematician said that the world was going to end because all the planets were going to line up, and that was going to be how they all ended. See, in every single one of these instances, the world has not ended yet. But people freaked out. We were afraid. We were terrified that this was it. This was the world ending. Every time someone predicts the world is ending, people all overreact with fear, terror, and panic. We don't know what to do. In every generation that has ever existed, people have faced moments where this fear has threatened to overwhelm our faith. This fear has threatened to overcome our faith. And today there's a lot of fear around the state of the world amidst this pandemic, and I believe it's threatening to overwhelm some of our faith. I believe this fear is already overwhelming some people's faith. But see, God's word is the same today as it was a few thousand years ago. 
God's word is the same today as it was 100 years ago, 300, 400, 500. It's been the same forever. And over and over and over in God's word, it says one phrase. It says, do not fear. Over and over and over, it says, do not fear. Indeed, it actually comes up 365 times in the Bible. It says, do not fear. It's repeated so often and it's repeated so many times that I actually got it as a reminder for me. I got the verse, do not fear, tattooed on my arm to remind myself that I don't have to fear anything. I have nothing to be afraid of. God reminds us over and over, don't fear these things. There's only one thing we're supposed to fear, and that's the Lord himself. So in the middle of a world that seems to be completely infatuated with fear and everything is terrifying... How can we not be afraid? When there's no more happy news articles anymore, it seems to be, what is the next thing that's going to end the world and scare us? How do we, how, how do we live not afraid? How do we live lives that aren't overrun by fear? And I believe that we can learn that through learning to be content. I believe we can learn to not be afraid through learning to be content. So what does it mean to be content? What does it mean for us to say that we are truly and completely content? We're going to look at Philippians 4, 10 to 13, and Paul in here talks about what it means to be content, what true contentment is, and I believe it's a good way for us to live our lives to model after these. So we're going to read Philippians 10, or sorry, 4, 10 to 13. So Paul says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I am well-fed or whether I'm hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And so now I'm going to look at four, four things or four facts about contentment that will learn or teach us how to be completely content. And the first point is that contentment is a process. Contentment is learned. Contentment is something you have to learn. He says it quite clearly in verse 11 and then in 12. In verse 11, he says, I have learned to be content. And then in verse 12, I have learned the secret of being content. Paul's pretty clear that contentment is not something that is automatic or something that rather you're born with and you just have and that some of us are content and some of us aren't. It's not like brown eyes versus blue eyes, but rather contentment is something that you learn over time. It's like any other skill. No one hands you a guitar and says, here's the secret of playing a guitar. You strum with your right hand and do the chords with your left and go. No one, if that was all you knew about guitar, no one would be good enough to do that. That's the secret of playing guitar, though, right hand, left hand. But no one would see that and think, okay, I've got enough that I am now an excellent guitar player. No one expects after that you'd become an expert. But rather, they've told you the secret, and now you have to go about practicing it. They've told you how to do it, and now you have to learn it. Now you have to practice that thing. But why is contentment something that we have to learn? Why doesn't God just make us content all the time? All of us, at all times, content with everything. And I think it's because, like so many things, we learn to appreciate it more, or we appreciate how important it is when we are faced with the hard task of learning that skill. When we have had to learn it, we appreciate it a bit more. 
See, we appreciate doctors and how amazing doctors are because they sacrifice years and years of their time. They learn all of these things, they learn these skills, and then they have to practice those skills, and then finally they become a doctor and they are allowed to practice. And so they do all of this and it takes a lot of work. I wanted to be a doctor when I was a kid for a bit, but then I realized that nearly fainting when I get a needle does not bode itself well to the medical profession. So I didn't think I could give needles if I fainted every time I just got one. And then I also realized, oh, jeepers, that's a lot of school. You know, seven to ten and even more years uh, just learning about how to be a doctor. I don't want to be in school that long. So instead, I took seven to ten years of Bible college. Um, but my point is that the most important things uh, or skills are usually things that it takes some effort to learn. We appreciate it more if it took us a long time to learn that. It's through that working and learning process that we realize how important that thing is, how much we appreciate it. It takes us years to learn how to read, and we appreciate the gift of reading. It takes a long time to learn how to ice skate. It's a weird thing, and, and we appreciate it when we're able to, to ice skate. It takes us a few years to learn how to properly drive, but if you drive on the 401, you'll see that not everyone has practiced that skill as much as others. Contentment is something that we have to learn, and through the learning process or the growing process of learning to be content, we begin to realize how beautiful contentment is. We appreciate more and more the ability to be content because of the process that it took to get us there. And see, it seems Paul took this time to learn how to be content. And because of that learning process and that growing process, he says that he now appreciates what he has. He is able to be content. He's able to go through the needing and the being hungry because he has learned to be content with where he is. The second thing that we see here is that happiness is based on the circumstance. But contentment is based on trusting God, despite the circumstance. In verse 12, Paul says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. And then he adds something to make it a little bit more real. He says, whether I am well-fed or whether I go hungry. See, I think that last part makes it a bit more clear for us. It easy to, it's easy to assume when Paul says, when I'm in need, I know what it is to be in need. And just to assume that Paul wasn't living, you know, in a mansion. Well, Paul says he was in need, so he was you know, probably a little shy. He was probably still making his bills. He was probably doing okay. You know, he was in need. He wasn't starving. Paul makes it quite clear. He says, no, whether I'm well-fed or whether I'm starving, that's the depth of his need. Having plenty is like driving the Mercedes, and, and you know, to some of us, being in need might be driving a Toyota, but to Paul, being in need meant that he had to walk everywhere that he had to go. That's what Paul says. He quite literally means that when he starves, he knows what it means to be content, and he's able to be content in that. When he has no food, when he is in the state of dire needing, he's able to be content. The key is that he's able to be content in both states, whether he has enough or whether he doesn't, whether his table is overflowing with food or whether his fridge is bare and there's nothing in it. Because contentment is not based on the circumstance. Happiness is based on the circumstance, but contentment is based on trusting God in the circumstances, or despite the circumstances. It's easy to forget how important that is. Uh, we're going to show a clip shortly, but who's seen the, the movie Cool Runnings? I hope everyone has seen Cool Runnings. It's a wonderful movie. If you haven't seen Cool Runnings, you're going to want to see it, but I'm about to spoil some stuff for you, so I apologize. Cool Runnings is a movie about the Jamaican bobsled team. It's an absolute classic. Now, the coach of the bobsled team is played by John Candy, and he used to coach the American team, but now he is in disgrace. Because he had been coaching the American team, and then he got caught cheating. He won two gold medals, and then he got caught cheating. 
And so the Jamaican team that he's now coaching, they couldn't understand why you would already cheat when you already had two gold medals. And so we're going to watch this clip and see what he has to say about that. Hey, coach. Yeah. I have to ask you a question. Sure. But you don't have to answer if you don't want to. I mean, I want you to, but if you can't, I understand. You want to know why I cheated, right? Yes, I do. That's a fair question. It's quite simple, really. I had to win. You see, Jerice, I'd made winning my whole life. And when you make winning your whole life, you have to keep on winning, no matter what. You understand that? No, I don't understand, coach. You had two gold medals. You had it all. Therese, a gold medal is a wonderful thing. But if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. John Candy says there, if you're not enough without the gold medal, you'll never be enough with it. It seems John, like Paul, kind of understood that he had to learn the hard way, that it doesn't matter the circumstance, you have to learn to be content whether you have a gold medal or you don't have a gold medal. The world says you should only be happy when you win the gold. You should only be happy when you have plenty. Uh, you should never be happy if you've come second place or third place. So definitely shouldn't be happy if you've come last. And you shouldn't be happy if you're going hungry. But Paul reminds us that contentment isn't like happiness. Contentment isn't based on whether you have the gold or bronze or whether you're starving or you have plenty. Contentment is not based on those things. Contentment is based on being able to trust God despite the circumstances that face you. See, point number three is that contentment trusts that despite the circumstance, God knows what is going on. And God is going to work in those circumstances. In verse 12, there's a word that is really exciting when we see. It's the word secret. And we love secrets. I think as people, secrets excite us. We love secrets. Especially if we're on the inside of a secret. If we're on the outside of the secret, we probably don't enjoy it as much. But when you're on the inside of a secret, it's kind of exciting. You know something that someone else doesn't know, and, and that's rather exciting. And if we're on the outside, it's not so exciting. And Paul says, well, here, I learned the secret of contentment. And so I'm going to fill you in on that secret so that you can be on the inside and feel that excitement. In verse 11, Paul says, whatever the circumstances. In verse 12, he says, in every and any situation. The secret is that being content is learning to trust that God knows what's going on despite your circumstances. He sees what's going on in your circumstances, and he can work in those circumstances. For us, it's quite easy to be content when we have a gold medal or to feel like we're content because we've won the gold medal, we've achieved it. Like John Candy was talking about, he says, I've got the gold medal. But he says it's harder to be content when that's what you've made everything is about. It's harder to be content when your world seems to fall apart. When you lose your job, it's tougher to be content. When your marriage starts to fall apart, it can be really tough to be content. The secret to finding true contentment is trusting that God knows what is going on right now in your life, and he's working even in that situation. Even when you don't see where he is, he's working in that right there. In every disaster, God is able to use it. 
In every situation, God is able to redeem that and use it for his glory and his purposes. God is never held captive by situations. So we might look at our life that is crumbling all around us and only see all the things that are failing and falling apart, but God looks at it and he sees, I see a fresh slate. He says, I can see what I can build from those pieces. Out of the ashes, I'm going to bring something new forth. Contentment has that view of life. It sees that regardless of what is going on, regardless of the things that are falling apart all around you, you trust that God is in the situation and that he is working in the situation. Regardless of what it feels like, you know he's there and he's working. The disciples had to learn this the hard way when Jesus was crucified. When Jesus was crucified, that probably seemed like the very end of their, mo- of their movement. They had just spent years with this guy, and they were following this guy, and he said he was going to overthrow everything and save the world, and then the Romans go and put him on a cross. And they probably seemed like everything was just shattered. But see, they were only looking at the negative, what they saw right in front of their faces. They could only see Jesus dead on a cross. They couldn't imagine what God was going to do with that. They couldn't imagine what God was about to bring out, out of that. They couldn't imagine that Jesus was going to now be raised from the dead and beat death once and for all and be the savior of all mankind through that. They couldn't imagine that. All they could see was Jesus was dead. They only saw the negative. They didn't see how God was already working in the situation. So true contentment looks at your situation like Paul and says, whatever the circumstance, in any and every situation, I trust that God's working. I trust that he's here. I trust it even if I'm not able to see it. And the last thing that we see is that contentment trusts that God's going to give you the strength that you need. And this is the final thing we see. It's verse 13. It's one that we quote all the time. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. The thing is that this verse is so easy to misuse. And I've seen it misused and abused over and over and over in the church. This verse does not mean that you can simply flap your arms and fly around the sanctuary if you'd like, because after all, you can do all things through him who gives you strength. It doesn't mean you can do that. It doesn't mean that you can do anything you would like to do at all because you can do all things. That's not what it means. It's not a magical incantation like out of the Harry Potter movies. Verse 13 explains where Paul is saying, this is how I am able to be content in any and every situation. This is how I am able to keep going on and trusting God when I don't see him working the situation. This is how I'm able to be content when I'm going hungry. He's in jail. He's starving. His life is falling apart, and Paul certainly knows that he is headed towards death. It seems like this is probably the lowest you could go. How in that situation is someone going to be content? And Paul says, it's because of Jesus. I can do all of these things because Jesus is the one who gives me strength. Paul relied on Jesus for strength, and he's able to be content because he's relying on Jesus for that strength, not on his own abilities. See, Paul realized that it didn't matter what happened in life. As long as he has Jesus, that's enough. As long as he has Jesus, that's all he needs. Jesus is enough to make everything in Paul's life all right. He's enough to make everything just fine because all he needs is Jesus. It doesn't matter the suffering or the things, the trials that he's going through. None of the persecution, none of those things matter as long as Paul has Jesus. When my son passed away and my world seemed to be falling apart in 2012, I went on a journey to find God. In the middle of all of this pain, all this suffering, I went on a journey because I needed to find Jesus. 
seek him out in the middle of all of this pain and all of this, the terrible things in my world, I needed to go find him. And after some time and after some seeking, I went back to the church and I was back in the church and someone asked me, someone actually said to me, how could you possibly want to go back to church after everything that happened in your life? How could you possibly want to go back to church after all these things are broken and your life seems to be falling apart? And I didn't have an answer except for the fact that I said, because all I have is Jesus. All I have is Jesus. And that's all I need. Despite losing everything else that I thought was important to me, that I needed in life, that everything that I was going through, despite losing it all, I knew that I had Jesus. And for whatever reason, at that point, I knew that that was enough. And I wasn't able to be perfectly content like Paul, but I was beginning to understand that as long as I had Jesus, I would be able to make it through anything. That no matter else what happened, no matter else what I had to go through in life, as long as I had Jesus, he was enough. No matter the storm, no matter anything else. And so is Jesus enough for you? If you lost everything else you had right now, if you lost your job, all your money, if you lost your marriage, your house, if everything in your life crumbled apart, would you be able to can be content with just having Jesus? Because Paul says that is the true secret to contentment. Rely on Jesus for your strength and rely on him, and that's how you will learn to be content. So let's learn to be content. Let's learn to be completely content in life. Let's remember that contentment is a process. It is learned. It's not something we're just going to wake up one day and be amazing at, but it's something we're going to have to work at. Contentment's not based on the circumstances that are in front of us at the moment. It's not based on those things. Contentment is knowing that God is working in anything and everything you're going through. He knows what's going on. And contentment trusts that in the middle of all of that, if you have nothing else but all you have is Jesus, then that's more than enough. That will be all the strength that you need to get through when things are rough. Jesus is enough for me, and I hope that Jesus is enough for you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for what you teach us. Jesus, thank you that you are enough. Lord, remind us that you're enough. When things get tough and when we hit storms and when our world starts to shake and crumble apart, Jesus, remind us that you are the source of our strength. Remind us that even when we don't see you working in a situation, Father, remind us that you are there and you are working in that even when we can't see it. Lord, teach us to be content. Teach us to be a people that are, that are not afraid of everything and, 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 Lord, of people that are so worried and anxious over everything, but teach us to be a people that are content in any and every situation, despite the circumstances, whatever they are. Father, teach us to be a people that trust you. Lord, help us learn to be completely content. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>